Welcome to the On the Air podcast, a companion to On the Air magazine, a bi-monthly magazine from ARRL for beginner to intermediate ham radio licensees. I'm your host, Steve Ford, WB8IMY. Every month, the On the Air podcast extends material found in On the Air magazine to help you learn about the many things the ham radio service and hobby has to offer. The On the Air podcast is sponsored by ICOM, for the love of ham radio. A substantial portion of the March-April issue of On the Air is devoted to the debut of Solar Cycle 25, which officially started a little more than a year ago. This is a big deal to amateur radio operators because it promises much improved conditions on the HF bands. But what is a solar cycle? And how does it affect communications here on Earth? To answer that question and several more, I called Carl Luchelschwab, K9LA. Carl is the ARRL Central Division Vice Director and an expert on how signals bounce around our planet and how the sun makes this possible. Good afternoon, Carl. Hi, Steve. How you doing? Why don't we start with the basics on this? Uh, we're talking about Solar Cycle 25, but what is a solar cycle? Well, Steve, a solar cycle is just basically an 11-year period in which the sun uh, goes from very inactive to very active. In other words, the sun puts out radiation at many wavelengths, and all those, uh, all that radiation goes from a minimum to a maximum in an average 11-year period. And how we see that visually is through sunspots. We're just where the uh, sun's magnetic field breaks through the sun's surface. And, of course, that's a misnomer because the sun isn't a solid. <laughs> it's uh, The surface uh, is what we see. It's a big ball of plasma, basically. Big ball of plasma. <laughs> and when the magnetic field inside the sun breaks through the sun's surface, that results in cooling in that area and that's why sunspots are dark if you ever look through a telescope with properly uh, filtered eyepieces you can see that uh, sunspots are just dark spots on the sun and they go from uh, very few at a solar minimum which we were just coming out of up to many sunspots all over the sun which we'll probably see in about another three to four years how do sunspots differ, Carl, from, uh, say, solar flares that people hear about or the so-called CME, coronal mass ejections? How are they different? Well, NOAA has categorized disturbances to propagation into three categories. Uh, one is geomagnetic storms, and that includes coronal mass ejections, which the name kind of implies what it really is. It's a, It's an ejection of a lot of solar material, it's an explosion on the sun, and uh, it's very uh, visually very uh, extraordinary to see one of those. And of course, we do have pictures of that. You can uh, Google uh, CMEs, and you'll probably see some good videos of a, a CM, CME exploding on the sun. What it does is sends lots of particles towards Earth, which could... Uh, uh, not be good for us. <laughs> also, uh, another explosion on the sun is a solar flare, 
mostly what that does is send very short X-ray wavelengths towards Earth, which can um, which can affect our propagation. And if it wasn't for the atmosphere, uh, life on Earth would uh, yeah, be kind of interesting without uh, any protection from all that radiation. Difficult uh, to say the least. It, difficult, yeah, maybe non-existent, just like Mars, <laughs> without uh, its, well, it has a small atmosphere, but nothing like Earth, so nothing protects uh, Mars from solar flares and everything else that the sun does. Now, as we get further into our new solar cycle, will we see more sunspots and more of this other activity? Yes, we will. As uh, we're, we're about uh, a year, a little bit over a year past solar minimum. It was defined in uh, December 2019. That's when the fewest number of sunspots were seen. So as we start ramping up, we'll start seeing more and more sunspots. As we approach solar maximum, that's when we'll see uh, that uh, coronal mass ejections and solar flares are more prevalent. But then as we go down on the other side of the solar cycle, we'll see that uh, uh, coronal holes, which uh, can be just as disruptive as, as uh, coronal mass ejections, we'll see those affecting propagation. As, as the solar cycle ramps up, what we're going to see is a big change in our higher bands, 15 meters, 12 meters, 10 meters, and uh, even 6 meters as we approach solar maximum. Those bands will be open worldwide for more and more days of the month. And uh, probably in uh, another year, we're going to have some very good worldwide propagation on a consistent basis on 15 meters. And then uh, 12 meters and 10 meters will follow. So if you're a, if you're a tech, you do have some HF privileges, but boy, it, it would help if you went and got your general. You will have a lot more HF privileges. And I think you'll have a lot of fun on the higher bands, 15, 12 and 10 meters as cycle 25 ramps up. Now thinking of 10 meters, Carl, and the technicians in particular, uh, what will 10 meters be like, do you think? You have to get out your crystal ball here, I know. But what, right. do, you, what do you think 10 meters will be like as we approach the, the maximum, the peak of the uh, solar cycle? Well, that all depends on how big cycle 25 becomes. Uh, there are uh, over 50 predictions for cycle 25 out there. And the reason there are so many is we just don't fully understand <clears throat> the physics inside the sun that generates solar cycles and sunspots. So there are many different methods of predicting what a cycle 25 cycle is going to do. And right now, uh, most of the predictions believe that cycle 25 will be similar to cycle 24, which was the last one. Now, if that's true, then we'll have probably a year or two of just great worldwide 10 meter propagation. Um, and, and that'll probably start in about two years as cycle 25 gets higher. Now, if cycle 25 is a really big one, like some predictions say, then uh, <laughs> we're going to see 
excellent conditions on 10 meters and, and you'll be able to take advantage of worldwide propagation with uh, modest stations, you know, less than 100 watts and uh, simple wire antennas. If somebody were to prepare for this big upswing, and again, I have 10 meters in mind, what mm-hmm. would you recommend? Should they perhaps invest in a directional antenna and a little bit more power or, or what? Well, I think 100 watts is just sufficient. For example, uh, I got on in the ARRL DXCW contest, which was uh, February 20 and 21, with uh, my 10, 10-tech Omni 7 at uh, 90 watts. And I used a 40-meter inverted V. Now, the 40-meter inverted V also worked on 15 meters. So I ended up working about 50 countries with uh, less than 100 watts and a simple wire antenna. So that's a good place to start. A 40-meter inverted V, will, like I said, will work on 15 meters. So you got two-band coverage there. Then what you should also do is uh, do something for 20 meters. You could use... Uh, your 40-meter inverted V with uh, open wire line and a tuner, uh, or you could dedicate a 20-meter dipole. It's only about 32 feet end-to-end, so it might fit on most people's property. For the higher bands, as we go higher, the dimensions of antennas get smaller. So when we get to 15 meters, 12 and 10, it's very reasonable to expect that uh, a, a directional antenna like a Yagi Yuta array uh, will give you excellent results. It'll give uh, gain in a forward direction and it'll reduce interference off the sides and off the back. And that could happen when uh, those higher bands really get loaded with signals as cycle 25 Uh, moves upward. That could make a huge difference, couldn't it? Yes, yes, it could. Now, what about the behavior of other bands, say (laughs) 20 meters, Carl, or uh, 30 meters, something (laughs) like that? How how will they change as we get more into the cycle here? Well, uh, those bands, 30, 20, and 17, they're generally good throughout a solar cycle. So, even at solar minimum, we'll find that 20 meters is open during the day and early evening. As we move up on uh, cycle 25, those bands will likely stay open a little bit longer in the evenings. And uh, at solar maximum, we'll probably see 20 meters be almost open round the clock. So that's uh, good news for those bands. Uh, for the lower bands, 160 meters, 80, 60, and 40. As we move up the solar cycle, that's going to result in more ionospheric absorption, which is loss in the ionosphere, and that means those bands are going to degrade a bit. So in a very general sense, solar minimum is best on the lower bands, 80 through 40 meters, and solar maximum is best for the higher bands. 15 through 10 meters, and also 6 meters at solar maximum. And again, 30, 20, and 17 meters generally are pretty darn good throughout a whole solar cycle. When you speak of the ionosphere, what effect does the ionosphere have on HF radio signals? I mean, I know that obviously the ionosphere refracts signals, bends them back toward Earth. How does that effect change, though? And why does it change as we progress through the solar cycle? 
Okay, that's a good question, Steve. As the solar cycle moves up, we see more sunspots. Now, sunspots aren't really uh, what makes the ionosphere stronger, and that's what happens as solar, a solar cycle uh, uh, moves upward. What's really happening is there are areas around sunspots that emit uh, extreme ultraviolet, and that's the true ionizing radiation that impinges on our atmosphere and results in free electrons up in the ionosphere. And free electrons are the uh, important uh, objects in, uh, in propagation. And what happens as we move up cycle 25, there's more ionizing radiation, there's more free electrons, and what that does is makes the ionosphere a better refractor of signals. As the ionosphere gets denser with more free electrons, it can refract higher frequencies. So that's what we really, uh, really need is uh, lots of extreme ultraviolet radiation. Uh, that's how signals, as as you mentioned very early on, that uh, uh, the ionosphere refracts them back to Earth, and they can uh, uh, make a ground reflection and go back up again and come back down and give us worldwide propagation. Now, of course, as you mentioned as well, as the ionosphere becomes more electron-dense, is that a term I can use? Uh, sure. There is more absorption of those lower frequency wavelengths, uh, 160, 80 meters, 40 meters, 60 meters, can't leave that out. Uh, right. and, and that becomes uh, more problematic for the people that like those bands as we do get toward the peak of the cycle. Yes, that's true. Again, the lower bands are best around solar minimum. Not that they go away at solar maximum. You can still work lots of uh, distant stations on the lower bands, even at solar maximum. It's just going to be a little bit tougher. So don't give up on the lower bands, but it's <laughs> it's a lot easier to be on 10 meters working stations that are, you know, 10 to 20 dB over S9 as opposed to being on the lower bands where signals might be more closer to your noise level. That's true. What about VHF, UHF, Carl? Is it safe to assume there is no effect whatsoever? Well, uh, for six meters uh, around uh, solar maximum, we'll see propagation via the F2 region. Now, that's the most important region in the ionosphere and the highest because it gives us the longest hops because it's the highest region. But it uh, is, is best around solar maximum, and that will give us uh, propagation on six meters. So uh, solar cycles do affect propagation on six meters, but via the F2 region. Now, I mention that because there's sporadic E during the summer months. And what that is is, uh, six meters and also 10 meters comes alive during June, July, and August in the late morning and early evening uh, with uh, lots of good propagation. It's uh, called sporadic because we can't say if one day is going to be good or not. We kind of understand the statistical pattern of sporadic E. It happens in the summer months, and it's best around your late morning time and also your early evening time. Uh, two meters, there's not much influence on two meters by a solar cycle. Uh, I'm sure stuff can happen, but it's kind of rare. But uh, the only thing that happens 
uh, on a solar cycle to VHF is uh, six meters with the F2 region propagation. I remember hearing that at the peak of cycle 23, which has been, uh, well, more than 10 years ago now, that right. six meters had some spectacular openings where people, for example, in the United States were working into Southeast Asia, Australia. It, I, it was amazing. Yes, that's true. Cycle 23 was not one of the bigger ones, but it sure had enough ionization to refract even 50 megahertz, you know, six meters back to Earth. Uh, there was also good worldwide DX opportunities via sporadic E during the summer. So don't forget sporadic E in the summer. Cycle 24, uh, which uh, had two peaks, the first in early 2012, and the second one happened in uh, uh, about mid-2014. Although it was smaller than cycle 23, it still had some uh, great six-meter uh, DX opportunities around solar maximum. So uh, when we get there in you know, 2024, 2025, you know, be looking for six meter propagation. 10 meters ought to be going pretty good by then. And of course, 12 and 15 should also be very good. What are the odds, Carl, that we could even have something legendary in terms of solar cycles, like the legendary cycle 19, I believe it was, of the late uh, 1950s, that was just off the charts with 10 meters allegedly being open uh, virtually around the clock and so on. Is that uh, a, a distant hope at best? It probably is. But then again, the sun's going to do what it wants to do and not listen to us and our predictions. <laughs> yes. Cycle 19 was uh, the uh, biggest in our recorded history, which goes back to about 1755. My guess is uh, prior to 1755, there have been even bigger solar cycles. We just don't have any data. A few predictions for cycle 25 indicate it's going to be big. Maybe not as big as cycle 19, but uh, that would be very nice. Uh, although I think and I'm going out on a limb here, that we're going to have a cycle that's kind of similar to 24. I would love to see a really big cycle. That's because I have a little homebrew QRP 10-meter transceiver, and it needs more sunspots to work. <laughs> uh, it's only uh, 250 milliwatts out, so it needs sunspots. Now, uh, during cycle uh, 22, I worked uh, all over the world with that little thing because there were enough sunspots, uh, which means there was enough F2 region ionization to refract 28 megahertz back to Earth very effectively. And I'd love to see that again, but eh, I'm not sure it's going to happen. Well, either way, this is an excellent time to be a yeah. ham, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and again, that gets back to uh, if you're a technician, go get your general and that'll open up so much more for you in ham radio uh, just all kinds of other activities on hf and it's a great part of ham radio there's just so many things to do and hf is one of the many well thank you carl and i'm hopeful i'm gonna put you on the spot and just <laughs> we'll, okay. we'll blame carl if we don't That's get right. a a good solar cycle out of this but i i'm hopeful 
I'm hopeful. Well, I, I have uh, I put in my order for more sunspots, but they got back ordered, so I'm not sure what to say. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Carl. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, which took a deeper dive into material from the March-April 2021 issue of On the Air magazine. I'll be back next month with more to discuss from this issue. In the meantime, feel free to send comments about On the Air to ota at arrl.org, read our blog at arrl.org forward slash ota hyphen blog, or learn more about ARRL membership at arrl.org. Until next time, I'm Steve Ford, WB8IMY, 73.